now more than ever, people need to go within and plug into that cellular memory, plug into divine source, detach as much as possible from the matrix. Hello again, everybody. This is James Bartley, and you're listening to the Cosmic Switchboard Show. My guest today is veteran researcher Stan Gordon. Stan has been investigating UFOs, cryptids, uh, various anomalies since 1959. Uh, That's 63 years, folks, active in the field. Stan has done groundbreaking work with the UFO Bigfoot connection. In fact, he wrote the classic book, the Pennsylvania UFO Bigfoot Casebook, which proud possessor of on my bookshelf. He also was the lead investigator for the Kecksburg UFO crash. He's done a lot of work in various hotspots in Pennsylvania, including Chestnut Ridge, interviewed uh, one of his protégés, Eric Altman, a great guy who's done great research in Pennsylvania. I've also interviewed Lon Strickler, who's done a lot of work in Pennsylvania. So we're going to get a real treat here as far as what's going on in that neck of the woods. So without any further ado, Stan Gordon, welcome to the Cosmic Switchboard Show. Uh, Thanks for having me on, James. It's nice to be here. Thank you. Well, don't know where to get started. There's so much going on there. So for our listeners, if you don't mind, one of the things, one of the big controversies in the recent past uh, is this notion that all Bigfoot, all Sasquatch, all hairy hominoids are of necessity uh, purely flesh and blood creatures, that they're just some form of undiscovered ape. But your findings suggest at least some of these large, hairy cryptids, if you will, are more than just flesh and blood, that they seem to manifest aspects that we would refer to as uh, metaphysical, multidimensional. Can you give us an example, uh, drawing from recent uh, cases, as well as your classic book, uh, the Pennsylvania UFO Bigfoot uh, casebook, which suggests otherwise that there, for at least for some of these Bigfoot creatures, there may be an interdimensional or metaphysical aspect to them. Yeah, it, uh, well, we need to go back a little bit to give some of your listeners a little bit of an idea of what I was involved with before we get into that. But yeah, it was the ni- early 1970s when cases began to come to my attention that indicated we were dealing with something that was much stranger than an unknown animal. Uh, I need to give you a little bit of background. In, I've been out in the field actually since 1965. I've been investigating these cases since I was 10 years old back in 1959. It's uh, 63 years. I've never personally seen a Bigfoot or a UFO, believe it or not. But in 1969, I set up a hotline for the public to report UFO sightings. And as word got out about that, the phone on my home was ringing day and night. And it got to the point very quickly I couldn't handle this all on my own. So I decided to try to organize a volunteer group of research people. So in 1970, I found the first of three research groups of volunteers that for many, many years would investigate incidents across Pennsylvania. Um, The groups were kind of unique in that many of the people, most of the people involved were specialists. We had scientists and engineers, technicians, police officers, former military people who volunteered their time around our full-time jobs to investigate these cases. By 1973, the first group, um, we had extended to cover the whole state of Pennsylvania. And it was very lucky that we were organized because we had no idea what was about to happen in 1973. 
And we are surprised that we are getting referrals from law enforcement across the state, from the news media. So we are just jammed with reports. But 1973 comes around. First, we have the biggest UFO wave ever documented. There were hundreds and hundreds of UFO cases all year long from day one to the last day of the year all across the state, many here in southwest Pennsylvania where I'm located. Um, and the local news media was covering it very heavily back in those days. The, the local papers, the, the state papers, some national reports were getting out. It was a very, very busy time. And then in the summer of 73, we had the biggest outbreak of Bigfoot sightings ever documented. That continued on to 1974. And many of those Bigfoot encounters were in daylight, many at very close range, sometimes more than one creature seen. At, at many incidents, there was some physical evidence and the thing was, my teams, we would get out to these areas sometimes within minutes or hours after these incidents occurred, which is why we were able to document all these strange cases. And, yes, I, I wrote it up in my book called Solid Invasion, the Pennsylvania UFO Bigfoot Casebook. It, it's still out there on Amazon, and it goes into great detail. I'm sure we're not going to be able to talk about a lot of the detail of so many cases that happened during that time. But anyhow, I had been out in the field in the 60s investigating Bigfoot reports from Pennsylvania. From what I knew about the Bigfoot reports in Pennsylvania, they went back to the Native, Native American legends, uh, to newspaper accounts in the 1800s, and, uh, but many sightings here in Pennsylvania. And I was, at that point, I was convinced that people were seeing some type of unknown animal, some type of unknown creature science had never confirmed. But as this outbreak is occurring, actually it was 1972 when I began to see some incidents but it was 1973 in that massive wave when some very strange things came to our attention. And I'll just give you a real brief summary, and I'll take a break here, and, and we can get into more detail. But anyhow, one of the first things was that made, made us scratch our heads was we would get to some of these locations all year round, different conditions, weather conditions, even in the snow, and we'd find these very large, unusual footprints with big strides between them that would just go for a period, and then just abruptly stop and end when there should have been more tracks. That made absolutely no sense. There's no way that could have been fabricated. Then we were getting very strange reports. So you've got to remember, 1973, there's no cell phones. The communication is nothing like it is today on the Internet. And people would generally call the police or newspaper something unusual happened or if they were afraid of something. And that's where a lot of reports were coming into. And um, anyhow... People in widespread areas were reluctantly telling us that in daylight, they're seeing these huge, tall, hairy Bigfoot creatures standing at one location, not that far away from them, that suddenly physically vanish and reappear a short distance away at another location. And then we began to see this pattern. We'd have a UFO sighting in a particular area. Within minutes to hours or days later, we'd have a Bigfoot sighting or vice versa. And then we had those amazing incidents that are very well documented with UFOs and Bigfoot seen together at the same time and place. And if you want me to go into detail about some of those cases, we can. I'll, I'll turn it back to you. Yes, please, Dan, uh, by all means. Well, there were, there were many, many incidents. But um, if you read my Silent Invasion book, I believe you said you've read it, uh, probably one of the most famous, probably one of the most mysterious cases ever documented was one that happened out here in southwest Pennsylvania up in Fayette County. So I'm sure you'll hear me talking a lot about Fayette County during our interview today. And I'll, there's a certain area that goes through parts of Fayette County. That is the Chestnut Ridge. 
And the Chestnut Ridge is probably one of the strangest areas in the country for repeated phenomena. So we have uh, paranormal phenomena, but a lot of Bigfoot sightings. In fact, as recent as about a week ago, um, we have UFO sightings. We have the small orbs of light below the ground. We have all kind of cryptid cases, uh, underground sounds, mystery booms, all kind of phenomena along the Chestnut Ridge, which is probably a little less than 100 miles long. It goes through Westmoreland, Fayette, Indiana County, and southwest Pennsylvania, and it goes down into um, a few miles outside of Morgantown, West Virginia. But there are certain areas along that ridge that are more than normally active uh, among that. So in, in Westmoreland County, around the, outside of Dairy, PA, in that area along the ridge, up in Fayette County, very active all the time, year after year. So anyhow, um, there was a lot of activity in the 70s, uh, in particular around that area. And uh, this one case we started to talk about, this again is Fayette County outside of Uniontown, at a rural area, October 25th, 1973. And I remember the incident quite well. I, I received the call. First of all, there were many UFO reports coming in on my hotline, which, by the way, is still active today and very, very busy. Um, I received a call. Well, first of all, there were a lot of reports of UFO sightings during a 24-hour period on the hotline. Around 1030 at night, phone rang. I got a call from a state trooper, a state police officer from the Uniontown Barracks of Fayette County. He just returned from investigating this incident. It was a multiple witness UFO landing and had some very strange aspects to it. Anyhow, he, he indicated that he thought it was very possible there was something still up on the farm. He asked me if I could get one of my teams up there as soon as possible, and uh, we did. We, we got our equipment together. It was already evening. But we got our equipment together. We got uh, our radio equipment. Uh, we got our radiation survey meters. We got other equipment and found our way up to Fayette County, and we spent uh, – I think probably the whole night there, so early morning hours. And um, anyhow, what we found out was about 9 o'clock that evening, about 15 people in that rural farming community, they observed this very large red kind of spherical object about as big as a barn, about 100 feet off the ground, hovering, but slowly moving downward. And um, people around the area were seeing it. It was the farmer's son who would be the oldest of, the, of this group I'll tell you about, was coming out to visit his father, and he sees the object in the sky, people standing out there looking at this thing, and he goes to a neighbor's house to get a better view of the farm where it looks like it's coming down, and he and two young neighbor boys decide they want to go up and see what this thing is. Before heading up into that pasture, they stopped over his dad's farm. They grabbed a .30-06. He grabbed a .30-06 and, and ammunition. Within that handful of ammunition... He had two tracer bullets. Uh, when you fire those tracer bullets, you just get a luminous trail. Anyhow, and, and I'm giving you the short part of the story because we could talk for hours about this case alone. As they're driving down the farm lane, the dogs around the area are carrying on. They're barking very loudly. They hear this high-pitched whining noise and these baby crying sounds. And uh, as they get closer to the area, the angle of their vehicle and leave the headlights on to see their path, but it looks like, for whatever reason, something's draining the power from their headlights. They had never noticed that before. They take a walk. They get to the top of the hill. They're looking over the pasture about 250 feet away. That object that was coming down was now on the ground or right above it, but now it was not a complete sphere. It was not completely round. It was like a big white dome 
like a half a sphere, about 100 feet in diameter, very big, illuminating the whole area, making this loud whining sound. And they're just standing there looking at this thing, trying to figure out what is this thing. And as they're watching, their attention is drawn about 75 feet away to a barbed wire fence. Along that barbed wire fence, you've got these two huge, tall, hair-covered creatures, Bigfoot in description. Uh, the, the biggest one, which is in front, is about eight feet tall. The one behind it's about seven feet tall. Uh, these creatures are moving upright, a uh, little, little bent over, uh, walking very uh, slowly, one behind the other. They have long, dark, matted, brownish-grayish hair. They have no neck. The eyes are, are quite large, about as big as a 50-cent piece, and the luminous bright green and glowing. The arms are so long, they're hanging down below the knees almost to the ground. And these fellows are just like, can't believe what they're seeing. The young One young boy is so frightened he ran out of the field. These things are making those loud, crying, crying whining sounds. And uh, the other boy yells to the older fellow to shoot at him, shoot at him. He fires his first shot. The first shot is one of those tracers. He fires over their head. There's no response. When he fires that second tracer, the largest of the two creatures makes that loud whining crying noise, reaches out as though to grab at one at the tracer, and the moment it does that, that huge luminous object in the field suddenly just disappears. It vanishes and disappears. It does not does not accelerate and take off. The creatures turn around and start walking back along the fence line. And at that point, he's loading his .30-06 with live ammunition, firing right into it. Said, told me, he said, I've been hunting for years. I know I hit them, but there was no effect on them whatsoever. I, I remember him always telling me until he passed away, he said, I'll never forget how that huge creature with his glowing green eyes was staring at me as I'm popping live ammo into it. There's no, no response. It's not injured whatsoever. Anyhow... The two fellows ran back to their vehicle, went to the farmhouse, told the family what happened, went to a neighbor's, and they called the state police. When the trooper arrived 45 minutes later, they went up in the field in the troop car to look around. And that's when uh, the trooper told me upon arriving in the area, the area where the object was on the ground was self-luminescent and glowing, about 100 feet or so in diameter. He said um, the animals, the farm animals, wouldn't go in the area. He said he shined his flashlight beam into it. He could barely see it. But he also told me, he said, the light in that area was bright enough. If he had a newspaper, he was certain he could have uh, went down into it, sat down in, read the newspaper from the light coming off the glow. Um, again, the short part of the story is what I've gotten a, a lot more detail in time. They went back to the barracks. I was told both the, the officer and the witness were taken to two separate rooms. They were separately interviewed, and then they called me to set up my team. And uh, when we arrived in the area, it was quite a while. We got there early morning hours. We got on the scene. The radiation levels were normal. It was no longer glowing. The farm animals still would not go into that area. Um, but anyhow, other strange things happened during the night. It turned out to be probably one of the most unusual, strangest cases ever documented. And at that point, we knew that whatever we're dealing with is much stranger than an unknown animal. And, and once again, I'm... I'm putting this out to your listeners because I want them to understand. I am not suggesting that Bigfoot is a passenger in a spaceship or another planet because we don't know for sure what the UFO or UAP phenomenon actually is. I've said for years there's likely more than one origin to the unknown category. 
But whatever these things are, and I'll tell you another story as we go along, the evidence more and more in cases that happened then and have happened in recent years and over the years since the 70s, that whatever we're dealing with has a physical and a non-physical component to it. For lack of a better term, I'll call it interdimensional. I've had Mike Patterson on the show. He's a Sasquatch investigator from Canada, and he's noted similar metaphysical aspects to the Sasquatch that he's, it's a particular family or clan that he's been in off and on contact with. He's noted a lot of light phenomena around the subject, their ability to come into his dreams and what they call mind speak, telepathic contact. So really it's, it's more than just hair samples, footprints, what have you. There seems to be much more to it than that. And, and there definitely is. It's, it's so much stranger. I, I said the more I know about this phenomena, the more I, I'm, I'm of the opinion that we're dealing with something that is so beyond our present scientific understanding that nobody understands, including our government. I believe they're probably very much aware of it. But it is so strange and so unusual. I, I've learned a lot. I've, I've investigated thousands of UFO cases. I've interviewed hundreds of Bigfoot witnesses and multitudes of cryptid witnesses. I deal with these cases on a regular basis, uh, pretty much almost every day with current or past reports, and uh, it is just amazing. And the activity here in Pennsylvania, I mean, it goes on every year. My phones ring all the time, year after year, all types of weather. But what's happened since actually last year through the fall and winter months when things generally quiet down and things actually increased with low-level UFO activity – and now this activity right through this year, right through the last few days, has been unending. And many of the reports we're getting, including the, the very good Bigfoot sighting about a week ago up on the Chestnut Ridge up in the Indiana side, these things are ongoing. And many of cases, again, UFO sightings, Bigfoot, many of these are daylight reports. But what's actually very intriguing to me, and by the way, you mentioned about that telepathic communication. Remind me to tell you a story that you'll find fascinating. I would say about March of this year, we um, had a surge, well, I would say a big increase in these type of reports of these small spheres, or some people call them orbs close to the ground. And um, some of these cases are just amazing. And I've been investigating those incidents since the 1960s, and many people never heard about those kind of reports. They're most intriguing. Uh, I've called these things mini UFOs for many, many years. And um, what's fascinating about them is they range anywhere from a few inches. They're like oversized fireflies or lightning bugs. But many of them are about the size of a golf ball or a baseball. Others are around a foot or two in diameter. They're generally spherical, but there's some other cases I have where they are not spherical. There are other configurations. They appear to be bright light sources of various colors. In some cases, they appear to be solid and metallic, however. And what's so intriguing about it is over the years, I've had incidents where these things have paced or followed moving vehicles. I've had them enter people's homes and cars through open windows, sometimes just float back out the window or they go right through the walls of the vehicle or right through the walls of the house. Uh, we've heard incidents of these things appearing inside of people's homes, including one several weeks ago I'll tell you about. But what is fascinating now, again, since March of this year, we're having a surge of these cases like I've never seen before that are coming from widespread areas of the state, up the whole way up into the New York-Pennsylvania border, but a lot here in southwest Pennsylvania. I'm hearing reports from other areas outside of Pennsylvania as well. But here in Pennsylvania, many, there have been numerous cases 
of these things very low to the ground. I mean, within feet of the ground, almost on the ground, in some cases even in daylight, coming with, within feet of witnesses. And it's not now just reports coming in wooded, forested areas. We're getting more reports now in more populated housing developments where there's not a lot of woods. So it's just very, very fascinating what's going on. One of the cases that's pretty intriguing, well, let me just tell you about couple in recent weeks. So one of my research uh, associates, Jim Brown, you'll probably hear me mention his name a few times. He's in Fayette County. He's, um, he's a real technical person. He's got some very good instrumentation. He's very, very serious. But uh, October the 8th of this year, so just recently, this occurred around 6 o'clock in the morning, our local time. It was a cold morning in the 40s here. The fellow decided to go outside to get his, his local newspaper to read. The newspaper box is about 50 feet away, and he recalled walking outside towards the porch, and between him and the porch was this glowing white ball about 10 to 12 inches in diameter. And he said at that point he told his wife that he began to get very, very tired. And when she was finally able to get him up, he recalled that seeing this object, this small sphere, just making slow circular motions and getting extremely tired. So anyhow, about 7 o'clock in the morning, she awakens, looks for her husband, doesn't see him, and she looks out the window and sees him sound asleep on the chair on the porch in that cold weather in his pajamas, which he would never normally do. She had a hard time waking him up, and he told her about seeing that sphere and how tired he got. Well, here's an interesting update. So three days later, about 40 miles away up in the the Laurel Ridge area, which is just a short distance from the Chestnut Ridge, which is also very, very active in southwest PA. This woman's in her, she has an older home that has a very high ceiling. She, about 2.30 in the morning, she awakens to go to the bathroom. She comes out of the bathroom about five feet away in the living room, which has high ceilings. She sees this deep blue-colored sphere about a foot and a half in diameter. It has a gray swirling mass inside of it that looked like an old lava lamp, and it's moving so slightly up and down. And she recalled that she took a step towards it, that she felt like a, a slight tingling, like a, a pre-jolt of electricity when you're near like an electric fence. And she recalled that after several seconds, she became extremely sleepy and went right to bed and fell asleep. And she said that is extremely unusual for her because she can't sleep at night. And uh, she's an insomniac. And she said for her to lay down and go to sleep like that is just something that doesn't happen. When she awakened the next day, she said she was very sluggish and very groggy all day. So here you had two cases where people were very close to these, whatever they are, these spheres, and they both had that physiological reaction of getting very, very tired. There was a, one person, I believe somebody had some kind of telepathic feeling that there was some type, some type of communication but wasn't really sure what it was. But, you know, you had brought something up a few minutes ago, and you talked about that another researcher from Canada who claimed they had some telepathic communication with the creature. Now, I can tell you, I'm aware of these cases in other parts of our country here where there's people that claim that they do have, some people claim they have regular contact with these creatures uh, mentally by telepathy. I can tell you in Pennsylvania that is extremely rare. That is not something that happens very often. I've only had a handful of cases I can think of, and those people were all very serious. Most of them had never had an experience before with a Bigfoot, and many of them never believed in these type of things. 
and they were even more reluctant to even tell me about that. However, I'm going to tell you a very interesting incident because I, I was a witness to this. This happened back in the 1980s, and this was a, an area along the Westmoreland County side of the Chestnut Ridge we were talking about. And I remember I, I got a call from a landowner. These people along the base of the ridge was talking about this huge, hairy Bigfoot creature that was coming down from the top of the ridge, down lower to the ridge, near their homes, and scaring their animals. So I was out there with a, a team, and we were interviewing a small group of people out there who were telling us about seeing this creature, what it looked like, what it was doing. One of those people within the group was very reluctant to tell me this, but said that, that this creature... Whatever it was, seemed to be mentally communicating at times with that person. While we were there, this person said, this creature is communicating with me and telling me that tomorrow morning, the next morning, about 15 miles away from where we were, over a little community up in Indiana County, that there would be a UFO incident, something over top of that uh, town, and... <laughs> That early the next morning, there was this very loud, extremely unusual strange sound over that particular town. It was so unusual, they called the fire department out, and it was in the newspaper the next day. So it seemed to know what was going to happen beforehand. Well, it, it apparently it did, because we knew about it, and then we were all very surprised to find out what happened the next morning. That whole area seems to be rife with it. Now, what are your theories, just to digress for a second, as to why we've heard similar stories of other locations, Skinwalker Ranch and some of the Navajo reservation areas, but what about Chestnut Ridge in particular and Pennsylvania in general that you feel makes it the way it is, phenomena-wise? Well, I mean, historically, it has always been extremely active with cases. I mean, historically, going back to Native Americans, they've talked about these creatures in the woods. There is newspaper accounts going back to at least the late 1890s talking about strange objects in the sky. So these various anomalies are, are not new to Pennsylvania. You also got to remember that I had one of the only hotlines and research groups in the country for years and years since 1969 where the public could report sightings and there would be somebody who would investigate the reports. And that's one of few in the country. So I've always had a very good input for information. I have contact, again, with many other researchers out there and groups and, uh, and input for information. So I'm aware of a lot. But I can also tell you, just from the lectures I've done, even this year, after the pandemic getting out again, that so many people everywhere I went to came up to me, some privately, others contacted me later, who all had incidents that they wanted to tell me about. And some were in of recent weeks or months or in the last few years, and none of these people had reported it to anybody. We can't even imagine how much of this activity is taking place that we don't hear about. This is more of a regular type thing going on more and more. The public doesn't hear about it. And I can tell you one of the reasons that it doesn't get into the news a lot is because the witnesses don't want any publicity. Because the calls I get come from people from all walks of life. Many of them have good positions, and a lot of these people, just for various reasons, don't want to go public what they saw. Most of these people would never believe that a Bigfoot could exist or even a UFO or UAP could exist until they had their own experience. And I can tell you, even in recent weeks, some reports are coming in are from very credible people who are giving very detailed accounts 
again, in a lot of cases, these people had never seen these things before and didn't believe in them. And some people have life-changing experiences afterwards. So Pennsylvania has been very active. But I'm also in touch and have been in touch with others from other states, and they're telling me about activity as well. So a lot of the strange things over the many, many years I've been doing this, now it's 63 years this year I've been doing these investigations, and there's a lot of very unusual aspects of the Bigfoot phenomena that, believe me, I wasn't out there looking for. I had always thought Bigfoot was an unknown animal. The more I know about these things, the stranger it is. Many of the Bigfoot sightings we have, even in daylight over the years, and my new book, Creepy Cryptids, goes in a great detail about some very, very strange incidents all over Pennsylvania and things that people never heard of before. But anyhow, quite often these creatures look to be physically very solid-looking. In other cases, sometimes they're misty or foggy-looking. In some other cases, part of the body is solid, and some parts of the body, it's um, out of focus or not solid-looking. You can see through it. Those are the things you don't hear about. And then I've interviewed many people told me that these things have suddenly appeared out of nowhere. For example, walking on the road in front of their vehicle, they see this creature that looks solid, and then a few seconds later, it's just gone. It's not there anymore. The Bigfoot phenomena combined with, with the UFO phenomena also, which is intriguing to me, around the 73, 74 time frame, I actually had a dream where a gleaming silver saucer landed in the very busy avenue in front of the house I lived at in San Jose at the time, my parents' house, a ramp came down and three large Bigfoot-type creatures alighted from it and started walking towards my house. And although I wasn't aware of it at that time, that was right, you know, right on the tail of all that stuff that was happening in Pennsylvania. And I, I believe it also happened, spilled over in Ohio as well. Even at a conscious level, a dream level, I became aware of this connection between the Bigfoot phenomena and UFOs. And, and one last bit, I don't know if you've ever heard this report before, but in that dream, these three Bigfoot were coming towards my house. I ran out to the side gate to make sure it was locked as if that would make a difference. And then these things made a sound which just terrifies me to this day. Closest approximation to it would be, oh, yo, 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 yo but very loud, resounding. I mean, like it just came down from the heavens, so to speak. So I don't know if that, you know, anyone else has reported a similar sound, but I'll never forget that dream. And it happened right around the time frame that you're talking about or a little after. So again, there has to be some connection between phenomena. What's interesting is a lot of cryptozoologists, so-called, and, and UFO researchers, they wonder if there's a connection. Well, I always say, well, of course there's a connection because it's the same planet. You go, <laughs> If there's UFOs and aliens and, and you know, non-human beings being sighted, this is all the same planet. There has to be some connection at some level uh, with the Bigfoot phenomena. Well, it's much deeper than that. I'm coming across similarities and some correlation between more than one cryptid as well and the various phenomena. It's, it is so complex. You know, back in the, during that wave of 73, you know, talking about these small orbs of spheres of light, there's a connection to it. One of the early cases, September 73, north of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, you had two uh, witnesses out in the country waiting for somebody to come pick them up. They observed this tall, white, hair-covered Bigfoot running across the road towards the woods, but it's carrying this small sphere of light in one of its hands. And a few minutes later, this large object came across the sky 
and projected a beam of light down into the woods where the creature ran into. So that's something that came up very early on different properties, especially up around the ridge. And by the way, I don't want to give you the indication that these things are only happening on the ridge because they were not. They're happening in many other areas other than the ridge area and across the state during the 70s, and not just in the 70s, year after year, including this year. So not all these incidents are going on the ridge. It's just a very active area. And also, a lot of the cases I've worked on now, you know, 1972 is when I first began to realize that there are certain specific locations where, for whatever reason, this phenomena seems to focus or target on. And that's when I began to get reports in a wooded area where nothing had happened before from independent landowners who started hearing these screams and howls at night from the woods, something large bipedal walking. They began to see these very small little spheres of light around their homes, uh, UFO sightings, Bigfoot sightings, strange footprints, all kind of things went on for a, quite a long period of time. And then in that case, it suddenly just stopped. But in another case, it goes on for weeks, months, or years. And there are other locations we're aware of here in Pennsylvania where there's a long history of paranormal stuff, apparitions, uh, ghostly-type things, Bigfoot, cryptids, UFOs, the orbs of light, all these weird things have been going on for years and years. And there's another one that's very active now in, in the last year. In Fayette County, it's another completely different location. Uh, Eric's been up there with some of his other research associates investigating, and they've had some very interesting encounters with the small orbs coming close to them. I talked about this years ago, that in areas where you have a history of Bigfoot sightings, you're getting more and more reports from witnesses and investigators of, these, of various types of light phenomena and these orbs of light below the ground coming close to people. And now that's going on all across the country, other parts of the world. We're hearing these cases as well. And uh, I started writing about this back in the 1970s. And now you have these cases. And, again, you have sightings almost anywhere, but you have some more specific locations for whatever reason where this phenomenon seems to be ongoing. Have you had reports where Bigfoot or some other cryptid seem to be able to affect the local environment, the local uh, climate, atmosphere, like would they suddenly be able to manifest a mist or, or, or like, a, like a rainstorm or something like that? Have you heard any reports in that regard? I'm hearing more and more incidents of whatever we're dealing with. And, and again, I talk about this in my, my new book, Creepy Cryptids, that gives in a lot more detail about a lot of the strange things that I know we don't have time to talk about. But whatever we're dealing with, it seems to have the capability to temporarily manipulate the immediate surroundings, sometimes during the event, and also can influence the, the witnesses as well. It is a very, very strange phenomenon what's going on. Sometimes people tell me while they're having the encounter, everything looks different, feels different. Their mental reaction, their physical reactions are just not normal. It's just so, so very strange. And of course, the animal reactions is very important because that is very typical in so many cases, even the most ferocious dogs, when they're in close vicinity to these creatures, they're just like in shock. They don't bark, they don't move, they shake, they cower, they hide. Uh, sometimes they don't eat right for two or three days later. That's been reported for years and years. And even while it's very prominent in dogs, other farm animals uh, have reacted as well. 
and uh, it's, it's there's a whole series of incidents going on that a lot of people never heard about. For example, electromagnetic effects. And here's again, even with the balls of light. So we know that whatever these objects are, there's some interaction with Bigfoot cases as well. And also what I'm finding out now, probably with some other cryptic cases as well, that sometimes more than one cryptid may have an interaction. There's reports, the strangest, and again, these are not just from me. There's other researchers around the country and around the world who are hearing similar cases, as bizarre as this sounds, that these balls of light can change the other type of physical creatures and reports of creatures changing other type of creatures. And I mean, and look at the UFO cases we have too. And of course, even the Navy has talked about some of the very unusual unidentified aerial phenomena that the, the military people have been seeing for years. Well, people from all walks of life have been seeing these for years and years. But for example, some of the cases we have, they talk about the transmedium objects that can go from the sky into the ocean. I've had multitudes of cases for years here in Pennsylvania where these objects go in and out of the lakes and rivers of Pennsylvania. And with UFO sightings, I have cases, I've interviewed, again, thousands of UFO witnesses. Some of these are very large, what appear to be solid objects seen even in daylight at low level, some electromagnetic effects. I've had incidents where you have what appear to be solid physical objects that slowly begin to fade away and vanish and disappear. Or in some cases, while witnesses are watching, you've got these large objects that physically change from one form to another. And in some cases, uh, you can see the whole outline of the uh, solid object moving across the sky, but you can see right through it. And then we have numerous cases of these objects, even in daylight, flying into clouds and never exit the clouds. And that's just an example of what's going on.